Well, it's a pleasure to be with you once again as we look at God's Word together. Uh, we'll be looking at a passage in uh, uh, Ephesians chapter 6, so if you'd like to turn to it as, as we begin, uh, it's on page 1177 in the Church Bibles, and if you've got a large print Bible, it's on page 1821. Starting at verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so when you can stand against the evil devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armour of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you have done everything, to stand. Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in its place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. And in addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the the Spirit, which is the word of God. And pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. We'll finish uh, there, but be considering those, uh, those verses. Today, we'll have naming of parts. Yesterday, we had daily cleaning. And tomorrow morning, we shall have what to do after firing. But today, today we'll have naming of parts. Uh, so begins one of my favourite war poems by uh, Henry Reid. And one of the reasons I like it is that it com- combines the dry military instruction of these recruits being explained the different bits of a Lee Enfield rifle with what the recruit can see in a garden. He can see spring happening, he can see bees, he can see flowers. And um, it makes them feel very different from the the battle. They feel ill-equipped. And there's a phrase that recurs uh, throughout the poem uh, from time to time, uh, which in your case you have not got, which makes them feel... ill-equipped for the battle they're about to face. I wonder, when you see the title, The Armour of God, how do you respond? How do you feel? I suspect for many of us who've been through Sunday school and attended church, we might automatically go into naming of parts mode. Oh, that's the, uh, uh, yes, does that count as one? And all that kind of thing. But if we're honest... Perhaps they seem quite away, away from our day-to-day life. We can list them, but are they things that we know and understand? Perhaps some of you were thinking, oh, I don't like this talk of the warfare and stuff like, tell me that grace bit again. You know, the bit Morris read, that was nice, you know. Grace made alive, I like all that. Let's have grace. Let's not talk about this warfare thing. It seems so out of place, you know, in, the, in what we talk about in terms of the gospel. 
And perhaps some of you feel, well, the war I'm in feels too big. I feel too weak. I feel I just want to bury my head and hope that it all passes over and I survive. I wonder how you respond. Now, the encouragement to be, uh, should be that it's not an add-on, it's not an afterthought, it's not Paul in prison was sitting there thinking, oh, I know what, I'll do a children's talk about the armour of a Roman soldier. That's not what it is. As we look at the themes that all through the book of Ephesians, he's actually been building up to this. When he says, and finally, it's because he's got to this point, he can explain what he's been talking about. If you've got Ephesians open, if you turn back to chapter 1, and just have a look there at verse, verse 17 of chapter 1. I keep asking that the Lord God, the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give the spirit of wisdom and revelation that you may know him better. Now, for those who are here this morning, that should be no surprise. Paul's prayer, I said I could have picked anywhere, was that we might know him better. That we might know him better. He then continues, verse 18, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened, that you may know the hope to which he has called you and the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people and his incomparable great power for us who believe. Don't you just love that sentence? His incomparable great power. Just for you, so you know, incomparable means you can't compare it to anything. A drop in the ocean is a comparison. A hair's breadth compared to the distance between here to the moon is a comparison. God's power his love, his grace towards us is incomparable. Incomparable. He continues, verse 19, that power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at the right hand, at his right hand in the heavenly realms. Verse 21 is important for our subject. Far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that can be invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the age to come. Incomparable power of God that raised Christ from the dead, not just back to life, but above all power and authority next to him, seated in heaven. It's the, it's the reverse end of um, uh, Philippians. You know, he humbled himself, became obedient to death, and here's God raising him up again, back to his right hand, but above all power and authority that we might know what he's done for us in Christ. We might know his salvation, know that power that raised Jesus from the dead, that incomparable power is working in us. And as we just read from chapter 2, verse 3, all of us at one time lived amongst them, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. We're spiritually dead to him, spiritually dead. We needed that resurrection power to work in us. Verse 4, But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And verse 6, And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ. Where is Christ? Above all power and authority. In God's eyes, where are we? We're seated with him, above all rulers and authorities, above every name that can be named, in order that in the coming ages 
he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. So we were dead, and now we are alive in him. And God has a purpose for us, that we might reveal his grace to the world, reveal his incomparable riches that he has for us in grace. Chapter 3, verse 10. His intent was that now, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms, according to his eternal purposes that he accomplished in Christ Jesus. It's these same, same people again, that he might reveal his riches to us, that his transforming purposes for us in the life of the church. He's done it. That's what Ephesians has been about. His great salvation to us. His incomparably great power. His grace, his mercy. And that's why, in verse 10, he can say, and finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Do we feel the strength of God? Do we understand the salvation that we have in him? So he says in verse 11, put on the full armour of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. Put on the full armour of God. The first thing I want to say about this armour is that it's his armour. It's his armour. It's the armour he uses. Armour God uses? Look with me at Isaiah 59, uh, verse 17. He put on righteousness as his breastplate and the helmet of salvation on his head. He put on the garments of vengeance and wrapped himself in zeal with zeal as a cloak. It's his armour. Notice God's armour comes from his character. It doesn't say he put on his omnipotence as his breastplate. It didn't say he put on his omniscience, his all-knowing, as, as his helmet. He put on his righteousness, his character as a breastplate. He put on salvation, his purposes to save as his helmet. And he wrapped himself in zeal. So where does that leave us? God says he's giving us armour. God's saying he wants us to stand. But how do we feel in our struggle? Where's our struggle? Some of you may be thinking, well, our struggle as, as Christians in the world is, well, it's against, it's all the unbelief, against the atheists, against the humanists in, the, in this world. It's against those who have perceived sexual freedoms that want to ram it down our throats. It's all those kind of things. It's against the materialism in the world. We live in such a materialistic world. It's all the waste. It's all the consumption. Or you may think it's against the weakness of our fallen flesh. Some of us, depending on our nature, want to win arguments, don't we? We want to win. We want to prove. We want to make the point. And we want to overcome weakness and show that we're stronger because we're in Christ. Is that what our struggle is? Paul tells us we're wrong. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood. It's not against people. It's not against their ideas and their understanding or misunderstanding. It's against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Our struggle is against the devil. 
and all his lies. That's his name, isn't it? The devil, the father of lies. That's what our struggle is against. Not against people, but against the dark forces at rule. But the good news is, as we've seen from chapters 1, 2, and 3, that Christ has been raised above all of them. What has God done first? He's raised us up with Christ above all them. He wants to reveal the church as being the subjects of his grace, raised up with Christ as a witness, as a testimony, yes, to people, but also to those forces, to the devil and his angels. We're on display to them. That's where our struggle is. may seem a bit strange, but what's that look like? He tells us, therefore, put on the full armour of God, that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you've done everything, to stand. Now, First of all, it's his armour, but also it's the full armour. We don't need anything else. We don't need anything else. Some of us are inclined to think, oh, this is all very simple stuff. This is swords and shields and things like that, helmets. This is all Roman stuff. We need, we need nuclear weapons now. We need stronger arguments. We need stronger... No. It's the same spiritual battle that we have. He's given us everything we need. We don't need anything else. We just need to go know the power of God in his word and through his word. It's the full armour. So the priority is then that we're equipped and we can stand our ground. We can stand our ground. Interesting thing, stand, isn't it? Sounds very passive. You all know how to stand. I, I saw some of you walk in. You can all stand, mostly. We can all stand. It's simple, isn't it? Sometimes we want to do more, but we're told that God wants us to stand. Now, it's a military term, isn't it? It means stand your ground, don't, don't retreat, don't let the enemy have the victory, stand your ground. In the day of evil, don't sort of curl up and say, okay, take what you want, just don't hurt me. It means stand your ground, don't yield. As the Apostle James says, resist the devil and he will flee from you. But what does standing look like? Okay, this is where I reveal I used to be a physics teacher. I'm standing. Can I stand? Very well. There's me standing. Now, the physics of standing is quite straightforward. We all learnt it by the age of about two and a half. Okay, here's me standing. Now, I have a centre of gravity. It's about there. You're all looking at my centre of gravity. I know you can see my centre of gravity. It's hopefully smaller than it was. But you can all see my centre of gravity. Now, if I'm standing, my centre of gravity needs to be directly above my feet, between my feet, like that. If I lean to one side, if I lean too far, I fall over. I've moved my centre of gravity, the centre of me has gone too far. That's what standing is about, and we can all do it. So what's the big problem? Why can't we stand? Why can't we stand? Why can't we keep, and I've drawn it like this, why can't we keep our head and our heart in the right place? Why can't we keep it vertically above our feet, our secure footing? Why can't we maintain that position? What's so difficult? Well, hang on, look at the average age. Many of you will remember It's a Knockout. Remember It's a Knockout? If you don't remember It's a Knockout, just think about Saturday uh, Kids TV. It's been pretty much the same ever since. It's never just standing, is it? 
It's never just standing collecting water. You're on a slippery slope. Or you're on a conveyor belt going the other way. Or you're on one of those rolling log things. Or you're leaping from pontoon to pontoon. It's hard to stand in that circumstance, isn't it? And it's not just that you're trying to balance on a, a slippery slope. People are throwing things at you. They're throwing heavy weights at you or soft play things or whatever it is or injecting water at you. They're trying to make you fall over. They're making it hard for you to stand. That's essentially what the devil is trying to do to us. He's making it hard for us to stand. He's telling us that, okay, you're not on solid ground. You're actually on a slopey, slippery surface. It's a lie. He's trying to tell you that actually under your feet it's moving. It's not. It's a lie. He's trying to tell you that you're going to sink. You're not. It's a lie. He's the father of lies. He's trying to make it hard for us to stand because we know that Christ has done everything necessary for us to be alive. Once we were dead, we couldn't stand, and he's lifted up, and he's st- we're now standing in Christ. Our feet, there's not many symbols you can use for Christ, uh, but we're standing on. It doesn't look good if you're standing on a cross or anything, but we're standing on the risen Lord Jesus who's invited us to come take up our cross and follow him. We're in him. That's what it means to stand. And I'm going to try and prove to you now that's exactly what Paul is talking about. And it's against the heavenly realm. So, the priority is that we are equipped with the full arm of God so that we can stand against all of the rulers and authorities and all the lies. So let's have a little look at this armour. Now this is where we have a little bit of naming of parts. We'll list what they are and talk about why they're important to help you to stand. So we start off with the belt of truth. The belt of truth. Now, the translators haven't done us great favour here because it talks about a belt being buckled. It's not really buckled, it's more wrapped. Remember that verse we had in Isaiah, that God wrapped himself? It's that idea of wrapping. Wrapped securely around by the reality of God's word. That's quite important. I, I went to school in Shellfield comprehensive as it was then, I don't know, it's some academy, posh academy now, but in those days, it's probably not there anymore, there was a climbing wall at the end of the sports hall, not one of these posh ones with these grips and things, some bricks were slightly into the wall, some were slightly out of the wall, and we had to climb up it, and I remember the first time that the head of PE took us and took us to the bottom of this wall, he was going to, he, he took a piece of string, a bit like, looked like a shoelace to me, wrapped it around me once, and tied it, and I think, it, hang on, that's a cheese wire. If I fall, that's going to cut me in half. That's no good. He tied it up, he just smiled, and he wrapped it around again, and again, and again, and again, and again, until he'd done it about 20, 25 times. Then he tied it off, then he put the carabiner on, and I was secure. I was wrapped around. God wants us to be wrapped around with his, his truth. Because we were dead, we didn't know anything. And now he's revealed the truth to us. He's literally told us which way is up. He's literally told us which way is up. The Bible is full of contrasts that once you were like this, in the Old Testament, you used to live like this when you lived in the land of the Egyptians or with your, where your forefathers were. You worship these people. You're not going to do that now. Now you're my people. You're going to worship me in this way. In the New Testament, we're told to put off all those things that used to be and to live for him in a new way. The Bible wraps us around with his truth, with the reality. Wrapped around securely with things. The breastplate of righteousness. Now, breastplates cover this bit. 
Protect the vital organs. Protect the heart. Where's our heart? We don't have a righteous heart, like God does when he puts on his breastplate, but we have new life in him. We are to have godly motives because we know him. As I said this morning, we responders. Christians are those who respond to the truth of God, respond in a positive way. So God's word reveals to us certain things that we used to do naturally shouldn't be part of us. Bitterness, gossip, malice, all those things, got to go. New motives, because we have his breastplate of righteousness, securing our position to stand before him. And then we have the feet secured in the gospel. Now again, the translators haven't done us much favour, but this is know where you stand and why. We stand in Christ, because he's called us to. We stand in Christ. We know that he saved us. He's called us to be forgiven, to repent, to turn, to put our trust in him, if we're Christians. That's the truth of who we are. And that's the first part of standing. So it looks like this now. There we are. The belt of truth tells us which way is up, which way is down. It gives us a whole new perspective. And it all comes from the fact that we're standing in Christ. It all follows on the fact he saved us with a purpose, to glorify him, to honour him, to know him. We know which way is up. And he wants to change our hearts, the attitude of our hearts, so that we now feel the things that God feels. We love the things God loves. We value the things God values in ourselves and in other people. Because we know him, we can be secure in him. So it looks a bit like standing, doesn't it? Our heart's in the right place, based on knowing him and the salvation. Let's carry on looking at the armour. So the armour continues, the shield of faith. Now we all understand about shields. Those though, you know, we can, you can move a shield around, can't you? You can turn a shield to protect from a particular attack that's coming from a particular direction. That's applying our faith to every threat and danger. It's applying the truth to every threat and danger. When the devil comes with a lie, you can turn your faith and say, no, that's not true. God says that's not true. God tells me the truth. I trust him, not you. Applying a faith to every situation. The helmet of salvation. Helmet protects our head, which hopefully is where our brains are, our thoughts and our attitudes, yeah? So the helmet is protecting our, our thoughts. Now our thoughts should be now thinking in line with the truth of God, the new reality that is in us because we are a new creation. Our thoughts in line with the thinking of God. So what's it looks like so far? Well, there we are, with our hearts and our minds, thinking with the, the same love and motives that God has put within us, that God wants to see in us based on the fact that we stand in Christ, that we're born again. That's what God wants us to do. That's called standing. That's what God wants his people to look like. Hmm? We changed hearts, changed thinking, against all the lies that come against us in the world because of Satan and his 
forces, because of the media, they're not going to do us any favours. Because of all the different movements there are within mankind, wanting selfish things, telling us lies, telling us what to live for. Whereas the Bible says that's not true. We are to stand. Incidentally, the uh, lady on the right is not very stable. Don't stand like that, you'll fall over. Okay. That's the physics teacher. Okay, moving on. And there he tells us, to add to this belt of truth wrapped around us, this breastplate of earth, changed motives and hearts, our feet securing, knowing that we stand in Christ, that he's done all that's necessary for us to be saved, the shield that we can turn to every attack that comes towards us, we have the sword of the Spirit. Some people get excited, oh, so I can do things with the sword. But it's for our defense so we can stand. How do we use the sword, the word of God, as a powerful uh, sword? So we use it simply this way. Sometimes those people who want to tell us lies are also those people that say, oh, I'm religious too. Oh, I'm a Christian too. This is how you should live. And we should follow the example of, of Jesus when he talked to, spoke to the scribes and, and the Pharisees. He say, you are in error because you don't know the Scriptures or the power of God. You don't know the Scriptures or the power of God. We use the sword of the, God's Word to say, this is the truth. This is what God has said. You are in error because you don't know the scriptures. You don't know God's truth and you don't know the power of God. Like Joshua, sometimes we have to say to people, well, if serving God seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve. Will you serve the idols, the gods of your ancestors, or those in the, who used to live in this place? Joshua was able to say to them, will you choose those lies to follow? But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. He was applying the truth of God to defend him and say, this is what I'm going to stand on. Martin Luther did exactly the same thing. When he became convinced that this is what the Scriptures taught, he had to stand against the authority of the church and say, here I stand, I can do no other. So help me God. Amen. He was using the Word of God to defend himself so he could stand. He knew what he was hanging on to. He knew what the truth was. Practically, it means that we stand with our head and heart in line and secure in our footing in Christ as our Saviour, maintaining this position against all opposition, against all the lives. That's what it means to stand. Look how Paul explains it in chapter 4. Look at verses 22 and 24. To 24. You are taught with regard to your former way of life, to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, and to be made new in the attitude of your minds, and to put on the new self. See that? He's talking about a new heart. He's talking about a new mind. Now you can argue which is desires and thoughts and things between heart and mind. But the centre of gravity, you've got a new centre of gravity in your life. It's not what it used to be. Now you can stand. And to put on the new self, in verse 24, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. The response of the Christian is to respond to God's truth, is to be like him. To learn new values, new motives, new attitudes, 
to reject all the lies and to trust him. In chapter 5, verses 5, he says this, For this you can be sure, no immoral, impure, or greedy person, such a person is an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no one deceive you with empty words or lies, for because of such things God's wrath is coming on those who are disobedient. For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light, for the fruit of light consists of all goodness, righteousness, and truth. And find out what pleases the Lord. As we were talking this morning, know him better, that we can honour him with the attitudes of our hearts, the thoughts of our mind, our plans and purposes, that it might bring him glory. Back in chapter 1, it talks about having every spiritual blessing in Christ. A friend of mine preached it like this earlier in the year. He used this illustration. This is his slide of negative. Uh, if, you ever, if you go to an art exhibition, have you been to an art exhibition? There's an art gallery in Warsaw. Yeah. If you go to an art exhibition, sometimes you see there's a little card at the side, like that one, and it's a little dot. The little dot has a meaning. It means that picture has been bought. Somebody has paid, in this case, $33,600 for a square meter of stuff, uh, and they've paid that price. So that picture, it's on display now, but it's been paid for, it's going to a new home. Now it's on display, you can look at it, but it has a new home. We've been paid for by Christ. We have his seal upon us. We have his seal upon us. We are currently on display in this fallen world. We're currently on display to those who will throw all kinds of lies at us. We're currently on display to all those dark angels, whatever you want to call them, forces of evil, the devil, his angels. We're on display to them. And they want to laugh and watch us fall over. But when we stand, we show that we're going to have a home somewhere else. Part of judgment will be that the angels have to say, yes, I knew they're your people, because they stood. They were changed. They were transformed by your power. We couldn't touch them. We're on display here, but we have a new home, sealed with the Spirit of God. So we are to be those who pray in the Spirit, which is basically praying in line with his will, praying that salvation would continue and grow in all of us. We are to be constantly alert in full armour, be on guard duty. Um, some of you may know that the, the Roman shields were quite big, big and square. We've all seen Roman shields joined together to make a wall. And if they were formed a square, they could put some on top and make a tortoise, as they called it. Isn't that a fantastic picture of a prayer? A church that prays, prays for one another, like we're thinking this morning. Lead us not into temptation, deliver us from evil, stopping all the fiery darts of the lies of the evil one. That's who we are to be, standing shoulder to shoulder, faith to faith, praying for one another, resisting the devil, encouraging one another. That those flaming arrows, those flaming arrows that can so easily cut in, but also they're, they're flaming, they can sear, they can burn. We want to deflect those and keep those away from one another. We want to put out the lies, because the lies will destroy us. The lies of the devil. 
as Paul said, it's that putting off and putting on the new self, being renewed in our minds and in our thinking. Because if we don't, if our hearts are moving away to other things, if our mind are thinking about other things, do we stand? We fall. We fall. We need to pray for one another. We need to recognise what Christ has done for us. We need to recognise what Christ calls us to, to make a stand. In Matthew, Matthew's Gospel, chapter 7, he says some of the hardest words in Scripture. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? Some Christians think service is about doing spectacular things for God. But what did Jesus say about those people? I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. God calls us to stand in the salvation of his Son, that he might be glorified in us, that he might get the glory. Because what he wants is a people that stand for him. There we are. People standing for him. Currently on display in this fallen world, but we have a new home with him in eternity because we've been sealed by his spirit. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we pray that you might wrap us around with your truth. We pray that you might teach us to put off that which doesn't belong to change our thinking and our hearts, to honour you in all things, to build one another up in the knowledge of you, to live a life worthy of you. Lord, lead us not into temptation, we pray. Deliver us from evil, deliver us from the lies that will be thrown at us. Help us to stand in your truth, we pray, that you might be honoured and glorified amongst us. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to sing a closing hymn. O church, arise and put your armour on. Let's stand and sing together. <laughs>